You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I think a really good lesson is to not judge how you begin. And I think that a lot of runners can agree that starting a lot of runs, you might not feel great, but to make any sort of decision or judgment about how well the run's gonna be based on the first five minutes is you're always gonna be wrong because you're always gonna feel better at the end than than when it started. So yeah, just like not being afraid to begin something and not being able to see a hard thing through is probably the biggest lesson I've learned from running. That was Aisha Prout-Lear. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I sync up with professional runner and master relaxer, as she likes to say, Aisha Prout-Lear. She is a two-time Olympian, a seven-time world record holder, competing for Jamaica. She has won the gold medal in the Commonwealth Games for the 3,000-meter steeplechase and a silver medal in the Pan American Games for the 1,500-meter race. Aisha and I caught up back in the spring when she was just getting back to running after a six-month setback due to an injury. We chat about how she was building her weekly distance, where running began for her, the power of strength training, and what she loves about running. She also shared her favorite spots to run around the world. And of course, we're talking nutrition and inside tracker. Aisha also offers a few key lessons she's learned from running that she applies to everyday life. This conversation is part of a three-episode series sponsored by Inside Tracker. If you haven't already heard the first conversation, episode 236 with Shalene Flanagan, head over and have a listen. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Click on the Money on the Move podcast, scroll through the episodes till you see the five stars, then click on leave a review. Tell us what you love. Also, feel free to share this conversation on your social channels and tag us. We'll tag you back. Now, on to my conversation with Aisha. Well, it's so great, Aisha, to have you on the podcast today. I'm so happy that we're finally syncing up. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I was on your Instagram earlier, and I saw that you ran 70 miles last week. Is that like a base amount or is that a lot for you right now? Um, that's a base amount. Um, I've dabbled in running a lot in my career and running a little in my career. And um, my sort of happy zone is 80 to 85. I've done the 100 mile weeks. I've done the 70 mile weeks. But um, I think right now we're working 
I'm working my way up to around the 75 AB for the rest of the spring summer. Almost there. Is there something that you're specifically training for right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm coming back from a major knee surgery in August and my goal is to qualify for the world championships and Commonwealth games this summer. Okay. Um, I really didn't know if I would be able to even say that, that I'm, that I'm trying to qualify. Because uh, of I have, yeah. because of my knee. Yeah. I had, um, I had a six month return to play protocol. I didn't do a minute of cardio. I wasn't allowed for four months. I sat on the couch. Um, and so now I have this really big, very big goal, super outside chance of making it, but okay. I'm super motivated by that. So I am calling, I jokingly to myself say, uh, couch to world 5k championships. Okay. Um, so I'm training to try to make the, the 5k team for Jamaica. That's awesome. How do you feel? How does it feel to try to get back? Like after the injury? Yeah. It feels good. I mean, I, um, I just kept an open mind the whole time about yeah. it. And it was just, I had a freak injury and it was not a running injury. I had a, a complete meniscal root tear, okay. a medial meniscal root tear, which is just like where you're randomly, your meniscus just like pops off the bone. Like it does, the meniscus itself didn't tear. It just like completely came detached. Okay. So they had to reattach that. And, um, I really didn't know what it was going to look like when I returned to running. I just was fully committed to getting myself back as healthy as I possibly could in a really slow, methodical way that we weren't rushing ahead of what the surgeon said. We weren't rushing ahead of of the PTs, but um, I've just become really strong and really mentally tough in a way that's different. Yeah. Uh, from the past, like I, I'm mentally tough in a way that nothing really faces me, um, at this point for the most part. And I've just kind of like accepted that this year is going to be totally different. And I think through that attitude, I feel great. That's awesome. Cause I can't even imagine. I mean, I think, you know, when you get injured, when you have an injury, you think you're never going to get back. Cause it's just like, you're in that place mentally where you're just like down and out all of a sudden there's like a wrench in your program. Totally. How did you feel in that moment? And then like, how did you mentally get through that injury period? A lot of athletes get injured and it's not their job, but I think that it's important to understand like the mental process within that space and time where you really have to stick to the plan and not work out. Yes. It's slightly different. You know, um, I've got a, a friend whose mom just had knee surgery and the mom has been following my, my progress and right. it's really really inspired by my progress. And I think that's really fantastic. But what my friend reminded the mother is that this is my full-time job. Right. So I spend hours and hours and hours every day. I am on like on switched on making athlete choices for my body 24 hours a day, seven days a week for years and years and years. And so I've been able to come out of this knee surgery, like guns blazing, but that's because, you know, I'm working a nine to five of my knee rehab. Um, But there are lessons that a non-professional athlete can take from a rehabbing professional athlete. And that's that you 
follow the plan. And if your PT prescribes you something, you do it. And it's so easy to be like, oh, I don't have, you know, 30 minutes to like sit down and do my exercises, but it really makes a difference. And I'm such a great rehabber. And I'm really good at doing all of the little things that it takes. And they really, 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 really add up. Where did running begin for you? Yeah, I, um, I started running long distance a little bit later than my peers. I started midway through high school instead of like in middle school or something like that. Uh, so I probably started around age 16. I did really non-traditional sports leading into becoming a runner. I did cheerleading and karate and tumbling. I've, I've never played a sport with a ball before. Yeah. I don't know a lot of rules about soccer, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I just started in high school and, and ended up getting pretty good by the end of my, by the end of my high school career, ran in college got pretty good by the end of my college career, but it, it took me a while to get um, good enough that I uh, could even consider running professionally. And I didn't really know much about professional running right. at all. Like I just did it because I enjoyed it and I loved it um, and I was good at it. And I, and I liked racing and I've always liked racing. And I think that's what really sort of propelled me through the ranks of becoming a professional runner. And then a successful professional runner is I started racing and just loving to win. And I would, you know, I was at a smaller, um, in my area, um, growing up, it wasn't like a big stacked place with like a lot of distance, middle distance runners that were super good. So I just learned to win. I didn't go to, uh, I went to a division one school, but it was more of a mid mid major. So I just learned to win. And then when you get faster, you already know how to win. So that's the easy part. How do you get faster? So much training. (laughs) I saw that you mentioned you were doing cross training too. And you said you did three lifts. So I just started deadlifting. What kinds of, yeah. Yeah. So my week last week, I ran 70 miles on the ground, normal running. And then I did probably another four hours ish of cross training on top of that. And I I usually elliptigo. I've got an elliptigo on a trainer right now. And so I I do that because that's like a really great translation to running. And then three times a week, I will lift with the team and we actually lift a lot. Like yeah. our, um, our program, we start with some like functional movement and just sort of like mobility work mm-hmm. because we, we usually lift after we've come from the track. So we've already done okay. something hard. Then we have to sort of loosen ourselves up from the hard running. And then we get into lifting. So we deadlift also, I would say 70% of the women I train with can uh, deadlift twice their body weight or more. Oh, wow. And I'm just doing, yeah. that. I just started, I'm doing my body weight for five reps and I build to oh, that. Great. It's amazing. But like, I could never even imagine being able to do that. I mean, that's where we started. Yeah. You, you will be able to, I mean, we started deadlifting maybe four years ago and yeah, just like starting light. And it's, it's one of those lifts that I think is so great for women of learning to be able to, to pull a lot of weight and like generate power. And it's like, you know, with a hex bar, like it's a pretty safe lift if you know how to do it properly. And yeah, then you just like feel like a superhero after. I know. (laughs) And so you're doing twice. Some of the women you train with are doing twice their body weight. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can deadlift over twice my body weight. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What other kinds of lifts do you do? 
let's see. So we, in our program, we usually have like a, we'll have a push, a pull, a squat, some sort of plyo and like one, maybe one other element, like a, like a twisting element. So, um, and we do a lot of single leg focus. So one of my favorite, uh, lifts is the single leg squat. Um, and we'll try to load that up as much as we can. We do a lot of skater squat. We do a lot of single leg RDL deadlift, as I mentioned, and we have like, a we, uh, we always have to hit the soleus raise. Yes. We always have um, like a sort of some sort of lateral element and then a lot of either ab wheel or some sort of plank variation or and then and then some sort of like twisting core, like anti-rotational core exercise. I was at the gym this morning doing uh, squats, actually, and then I got in the pool to swim and I was yeah so I was I'm trying to figure it out right now just as an as an age group athlete to kind of do my triathlon training and build the cardio endurance you know intensity and also strength train and it's the strength training has been really you know for someone who has not really had that as part of my training for years and it's just like now I have to do it and it's obviously I should have been doing it a while ago but it's really interesting for me to try to figure out when is the optimal time. Like I was doing it on, so my train, my, obviously it's very different, <laughs> um, but my long run is on Sunday, right? So I'm doing like a 10 mile long run and I was doing my strength session on Friday and I was really feeling it by, by, yeah. I'm not used to it. I've only done like this four or five times. So like my whole body is like, and my nervous system is like in a state of upheaval. And so all, my workouts all last weekend, I couldn't even do them. So I, yes. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure I've it out. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was like, ha- and then I was at the gym and, you know, I was, I was doing today's session and then I got in the pool and I only had to swim like 1750, but, but it was speed work, some of it. So I was dying. Basically I was dying. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. you know, I just have to get used to that like feeling of, being dead uh, in that moment and then I'll get used to it and then it'll be like everything else I do you know because a 10 mile run is easy but not not the last two weeks yeah not when your body is learning a completely new thing yeah so it's good to hear that that that's what you're doing as a pro runner and all the other pro runners are doing this obviously I know that they're all doing this but it's interesting to hear how you do it right because as other athletes that are listening to this podcast try to figure out their training plan, triathletes and runners, I think it's important for people to strength train. And I think it's really hard to fit it in your schedule when you're just like not when it's not your job. And I think that people need to look at it as a priority. Oh, I totally agree. Especially as we age, I think lifting, like prioritizing lift, like if, if you had to take out a four mile run to fit in a strength training session, do it, do it. Yeah. I think, good. I think it's so much bang for your buck. What is it that you love about running? Oh, it just feels good. I think it's just what my, it's the way my body wants to move yeah. and it's so natural for me. And I love it also as I love it as competition, but I, I love it as a social aspect. It really, truly is the way I socialize, yeah. which was really difficult for the four months when I could not run um, and really six months where I couldn't run because I realized that that's how I structure my day and all my social time with all my girlfriends. So yeah. 
um, that was, <laughs> was a bit of a shell shock, but yeah, it's just, it is the, the truest, most natural way for me to move. And I love how it feels. I re- just recently did, uh, an event, which was like the first event I've done in a while. And we had a lot of New Yorkers come out to this local running club fitness studio that's treadmill based. And it was really amazing to be back with other runners because you know, you go for a run and you, you, you know, you do your thing and especially with the pandemic and there's just so much power within the community of running. And it's like, if you're a runner or you're an Ironman or you're a triathlete, like you see people doing your sport and you wave, but to be in a room or to be on the track with a group, like that energy is magic. It really is the best. Yeah, it is. It's, it makes all the difference, right? Between if you're having a challenging day, it's a game changer because you could be like feeling like, oh, I can't run today. I don't want to go to the track or I can't do this treadmill workout or and then you just meet your friends and everything is different. Everything is different. You don't you don't even think about it. You just do it. And then it always feels better. Do you have any mantras that when you're feeling challenged that really like get you through, whether it's in a training session or a race? I often just try to bring myself to the present moment. And especially when races are challenging, your body wants you to stop or your mind wants you to stop. Um, But if you just wait to make a decision, if you just push off that decision um, of slowing down, I always find that helps. So I just tell myself one more lap, one more lap, one more lap, or I'll tell myself, just the, uh, the word yes, like, yes, yes. You're just committing, you're committing, you're committing, you're recommitting, you're staying attached. And, and that feels, feels good to me. It very almost like neutral, um, (laughs) mantra really, really helped me to just like stay, stay centered and in the, in the exact moment that I'm in. I love that. I'll have to use it. I definitely, do these things like these little exercises, mantras with myself when I have to do a long run where I just tell myself it's only five miles. And then when yeah. I get to the five miles, I'm like, now nah, you can run five miles home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, the, I do that all the yeah. time. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. The whole like getting to the turnaround point is like 75% of the run. That's yeah. pretty much it. And then once you're there, you just like you're back. You just got to get back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and speaking of running and training and all the comp- competition and everything that you're doing, you know, what are you doing for nutrition and health? I know that we both share a passion for Inside Tracker. How has it helped you with your racing and training? I think one of the most underutilized training tools is actually knowing what's going on with your body. And in my experience, the best way to know is to get facts. I think there's so much information out there that we all consume, whether it be nutritionists on Instagram or, um, you know, a show on Netflix about food. And we like get these ideas of what we should be doing better, or should I be taking all these vitamins? The so-and-so, um, drinks a bunch of this like magical elixir or whatever, but, um, personalizing your nutrition based on your like blood work is the only way to really know if you're doing it properly, if you're fueling yourself properly, um, what, you know, what, are, what do your vitamin profiles look like? What is your, what are your iron levels? What's your vitamin D doing? How, how's your hemoglobin and hematocrit 
how's how's that looking how's the altitude that I live at in Boulder like affecting me at a cellular level and it's so helpful to look at it over time and I just had to make little adjustments I've I've been working with inside tracker um for a little over a year and having all of this data just helps me make small adjustments. Um, for me, a big, a big takeaway was, um, I thought I was supplementing properly with magnesium, but I found out I was taking the least absorbable magnesium possible. And my magnesium was still so low, even though I'd been supplementing for years. And just like that little tweak allowed me to cramp less in training and allowed me to sleep better. I was in a better mood, like all of these little things that you don't realize, but by just like going and getting a blood draw a couple times a year, you can make your life so much better. I know I've been working with inside tracker and I've been using their, like their services for over two years and my vitamin D has always been low. And I've actually been able to optimize it because I love their their zones of optimization because they're nothing like when you go to the doctor and they tell you you're fine because you might not be yes. fine, right? Like this is – and it's not just for athletes. It's for everyone. You know, there are these optimal zones that are based on you, based on your age, based on whether you're male, female, based on your activity, based on your sleep that – factor in so many things that my vitamin D may be optimal for me, but not for you. And so it's really important to also consider that when, you know, when you're looking at your blood biomarkers. uh, And also, you know, one of the other things I love about Inside Tracker is that it has taught me how to feel what the blood looks like. So, you know, I would get these tests and, and after a while, I would know when my vitamin B12 was low because I would feel out of breath and winded from something that normally I would never feel that way. And I tested and it was true. I have the facts now. I mean, once you have that information, it's totally game changing for your training and racing. Totally, totally. And just having the having all the suggestions also on your app that like yeah. come directly from your your results, your biomarkers, and you, you just get these little updates like, oh, add some walnuts into your day. And you think, oh, this is actually, this is- That's this- the one I get all the time too. I have low magnesium <laughs> as well. So. Yeah, it is just helpful. It, it makes it so much easier. You don't have to guess. You don't have to speculate. And it's, yeah, I love it. Are there any biomarkers that you're looking to optimize right now that you're like currently working on? I've been really working on my vitamin D over yeah. the winter. And vitamin D and magnesium do bounce off of each other. So I'm, I just had a blood draw last week. So I'm really, I feel like, like, you know, when you have to go take a final in college and then you have that waiting period, (laughs) did I ace it? That's where I'm sitting now. So we'll see. All right. Hope you are enjoying this conversation. Just jumping in here to give a shout out to today's sponsors. Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move or use our code Cheers Marnie. 
This episode is also brought to you by Athletic Greens and AG1. I started using AG1 months ago, and it has been an amazing addition to my daily wellness routine. I was looking to boost my immunity, improve my gut health, and optimize my endurance sports performance. I needed an all-in-one nutritional supplement that was easy to add to the mix that would also work with my sensitive gut. AG1 has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food supplements, and adaptogens, and it's super simple to use. You just add one scoop to a cup of water. The travel packs are amazing too. I've been on the road with the show for the past month and having these AG1 packets with me was a real game changer for keeping my energy boosted and helping me stay healthy on the road and in flight. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every day to take great care of yourself. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And it tastes great too. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supplement of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Marnie on the move. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Marnie on the move to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, back to my conversation. So as an athlete, obviously you have someone who is a nutrition scientist that you work with, but do you work with a doctor also that's looking at? Nope, I just work with a dietitian. Okay. That's yeah. cool. So you work with someone that is closely monitoring what yeah. nutrients you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. And the woman that's my dietitian is in my training group, which is one of the most helpful things on the planet because she knows our training Yeah, and she knows when we're ramping up for certain things, when we're, uh, when our training load is higher or when we're going to a race season and we need to sort of optimize our uh, body comp. She's just very, very on it mm -hmm. and very aware of the science behind everything that our body demands. So it's really helpful. So what are some of your go-to foods that really help you be strong and have the energy to do the intensity and like the 70 mile week or the 85 mile yeah. week? Like what are you eating yeah. that week? Yeah. So I'm coming off of some very, uh, heavy volume weeks. Um, and I like carbs are just so important. Yeah. And protein and I prioritize that at every meal. My go-to meal after um, after a hard session and my training partners make fun of me because <laughs> I don't go to pancakes like a normal person. I love eggs and rice. Okay. And rice is just like my power food and it's my favorite carb. I actually eat just plain white rice. Yeah. Uh, I find that I can consume more of it and I need more of it. Yeah. And I struggle a little bit with, if I have a lot of brown rice, it's like harder for me to get it all yeah. down and, and have it sit well. So I'll have three eggs, a big scoop of rice, like a cup of rice, um, any green, I'll just like saute a green, add some yeah. lemon juice, 
some salt and pepper, throw some avocado in there. And I am just such a happy clam. How long before you have a big workout do you eat? Usually we have our big workouts in the morning. So I'll just wake up and eat what I call a snack, which is just like toast and some sourdough toast and um, <laughs> peanut butter and honey and berries. I'll do that about 90 minutes before I, before I start. Do you drink coffee? Oh yeah, of okay. course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my um, my husband and I, when we got married in 2016, we registered for one of those ridiculous, like semi-professional espresso machine situations. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, every morning I've got an americano with some collagen in it, feeling oh, you great. Drink, you drink, you do collagen. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. My whole family always makes fun of me because I'm always eating so much food. I eat a lot. Of food. I'm like always eating and. I don't even, and they're like, they're like, we're like, they'll be looking for something in the fridge and I ate it. And I'm like, it's been in there for like, I'm the fridge cleaner. Like I'm like one step above the dogs. Like I'm like, yeah. If it's in the fridge, it's fair game. Like if you wanted to save those leftovers, you should eat them. Lock them up. (laughs) Totally. They're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) And your husband's also a runner, right? Yeah, he just retired from professional running, but yes, we met um, we met in 2012 uh, running professionally in Europe. So oh, cool. we met, in, yeah, we met in Leuven, Belgium. Our dog is now named Leuven, Cute. and he had uh, one of the most illustrious professional running careers. He was a miler. That's very cool. Where are some of your favorite places to run? Oh boy. Okay, my top three places to run in the world yeah. are. Um, Crested Butte, Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely beautiful. Any run there, you just feel like you're in a snow globe. My favorite run is on Slate River Road in okay. Crested Butte. It's so beautiful. You run out past this lake, and it's always really calm out there, and mm-hmm. you see a complete reflection. It's just like a wow. mirror lake of all these mountains that are around you. My number two favorite run is in is around Wonderland Lake in Boulder. And I live right over here and I just pop out of my house. I run one minute and I'm at Wonderland Lake. It's a mile, it's a mile loop. And it's so beautiful. You just have these like amazing vistas of the flat irons, it's relatively flat. It's so great. And then my third favorite place to run is in San Moritz, Switzerland. There is a 5k loop around the lake in St. Moritz. When you're running around the lake, is it flat or is it hilly? Like it's flat. Flat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, flat-ish. Yeah. Ish. Mm -hmm. Relatively speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to. Yeah. yeah. And what's your favorite distance to run recreationally? Oh, I would say uh, I like seven miles. Seven miles. It's short. Yeah. It's short enough that it takes less than an hour and long enough that you can have a really good chat. I love that. And so what are some of the like lessons you take from running that you apply to like everyday life? I think a really good lesson is to not judge how you begin. And I think that a lot of runners can agree that starting a lot of runs, you might not feel great, but to make any sort of decision or judgment about how well the run's going to be based on the first five minutes is you're always going to be wrong because you're always going to feel better at the end than, than when you started. So yeah, just like not being afraid to begin something and not being able to see a hard thing through is probably the biggest lesson I've learned from running. That's great. That's great advice. Cause I mean, we've all been there. We've all like been in that space where you're like, judging the run before it even starts or you know you're like I can't do this but you can 
Yeah. Yeah. And it just applies to so many things in life, like learning a new skill or starting a new job or, uh, you know, a new relationship. It's sometimes not the easiest thing to begin. And sometimes the, the harder it is to begin with, the better it ends up being. Awesome. When you're not running and training, what do you love to do? Um, I am a master relaxer. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, It's taken me uh, many years to realize that um, being chill and enjoying my downtime is the is a big key to success. So um, I do like to cook. That's one thing that that I do love. Um, that requires me to be upright. But when I'm resting, I, I love reading. I love, I, I truly love television and yes. I don't feel bad about it. Like I, I don't, I watch so many things. I'm always up on the latest Netflix, whatever. Right yes. now I'm watching Drive to Survive. Okay. And I love it. I like, I love watching sports. I love watching, you know, some unmentionables on Bravo, whatever, whatever it is. I just love hanging out, hanging out with my dog and yeah, just seeing friends, just the usual, very chill stuff. That's awesome. We are watching a lot of shows on Netflix and Hulu. Like we, I definitely am the polar opposite. Like I have a lot of energy and everyone always jokes that like wake up in the morning and that like my goal by the end of the day is to get rid of all of my energy. And then, but, but I'm like the opposite of most people don't know. I mean, I talk about it, but I do, I just binge watch Netflix. Like I could stay up till like one in the morning watching TV and I'm relaxing, even though it doesn't seem like relaxing. It's like my brain is off and I'm just absorbing content and like living in somebody else's world. But I don't read a lot of books. You said you love reading. Are you, is there any books that you're reading right now that you're really enjoying? I'm reading two books right now. I, I love fiction and I will shout it from any group. Really? Okay, cool. Yeah. I love that. I love, I, as you say, like just getting into someone else's world. That's what I love about reading fiction. Yeah. I think I'm a pretty empathetic person and I just love human stories. Um, so I'm always reading fiction right now. I'm reading, um, a nonfiction book. That's really sweet. It's called the Tao of Pooh. And you learn about Taoism through the lens of Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin. It's lovely. And so that's my learning book. And then I'm also reading plain song, which was recommended to me by my brother-in-law. Um, he found it in some bookstore, uh, I think in Vermont and the, the person working in the bookstore said, Oh my gosh, that's an amazing book. And that's when you know, it's going to be good. It's What's it called? Plain song. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, contemporary Western. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's not, I, I haven't read a book like it before, but it's really interesting. Have you ever read the book, the power of one? Yes. Love it. Yes great book for athletes right like like, it's like all about overcoming adversity yeah first with the head and then with the heart totally that's the line in the book the coach from brooks beast was on my podcast and he like quoted bryce courtney one of the most amazing books ever totally i know that you had some serious health issues recently unrelated to nutrition and unrelated to training but related to hypertension which is something you've had your whole life so yeah. then you had to do a deep dive into all these tests. So what happened and what are you doing and how are you feeling? Thanks for asking. I feel great. I have had basically my whole life 
ever since I can remember, every time I went into the, into the doctor, they'd say like, oh, your blood pressure is a little high, but you're probably nervous being in here. And they call it white coat syndrome when you're a little nervous going to the doctors. Um, and then when I was about 19, I was doing my pre, um, pre-college year physical, um, just checking everything out to make sure that you're good for, um, for athletics. And they noticed my blood pressure was just like a little too high Mm -hmm. to be normal. Um, and just like a normal anxiety induced, (laughs) um, uh, reading. So I, I went in, I think every day for a few weeks, um, to the athletic training room and they realized that I had hypertension. So at this point in my life, I, I went back home and I did the whole battery of tests. And at the time they were just like, yeah, um, we're going to need to put you on a little bit of medication and, um, see how, you know, cut caffeine, see how this works. Um, because you know, we, it's just a little too high and we don't want to stress your heart this young. Um, and they didn't really, at the time they thought that it was maybe you were related to me jumping into endurance sport, um, at, you know, age 16 and then getting really good at it really quickly. And, you know, my training load just increasing a ton. They weren't, they weren't exactly sure. Um, but it was, you know, not, not the big deal, whatever. I, um, I'd been on the same like low dose of medication, um, for 10 years and, um, went into my doctor last year for a physical and my blood pressure was a little high. And did you feel it uh, like in your body though? um, No, not at all. That, and that's the big issue, um, with me in general is I don't feel anything. If it's, if it's a little off, I never have any symptoms. I don't have any headaches. I don't have any, anything going on. So, um, you know, my doctor was concerned that like, again, we don't want to put so much stress on your heart. And I, you know, was taking my readings at home. I was going into the doctor, um, to get readings multiple times a week, basically for a month, just to see where I was. And, um, I, at that point, my doctor wanted to prescribe me like a little bit more medication. And if I were a normal person, this would probably have been totally okay. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I think I was running, I don't know, maybe 85 miles a week. I'm training for the Olympic games. I'm, you know, riding the human limit and, uh, my body did not agree with medication at all. And it took me many months to figure out what was happening. And I ended up having to get, um, I, I'd gotten another echocardiogram just to make sure everything was okay. Um, I, I got a second opinion from another cardiologist and, um, I ended up, I I was just having the worst symptoms of, I I physically could not go hard. Wow. I could only function at about 70, 80%. And if I was there, if I was hanging there, I was fine. And my workouts were going well and my runs were good. And I I felt generally okay. Um, But as soon as I would sort of go to the reserve, you know, go to like kick or if we're doing a hard time trial at the end of practice, I would get to this place where I would get totally dizzy. Mm -hmm. I would almost feel like I was fainting um, and just lost all power whatsoever. And it was really scary. And also 
with our training, we don't go there very much. So unfortunately I didn't notice it until I was racing, which is like, that's where you're going to the reserves, baby. Like you got it. And, um, so yeah, I just like had the most tragic couple of months of racing and it really sucked. And we finally figured out, figured it out. And a doctor that I was working with figured it out that like, man, this, this medication is bottoming your blood pressure out so low that, um, yeah, like the sensation of fainting was like pretty real and yeah, it was just so stressful and it took me many months to figure it out. But, um, leading into Tokyo, um, we kind of figured it out. I would, I just like pulled back from all medication and started fresh. And I'm now working with a really fantastic team, um, out in Baltimore, actually. Um, one of my really close friends, Stephanie Bruce, um, is a really prolific U S marathoner and she had found, um, found out a a wild twist of events with her own heart and had recommended, um, I had posted about what I was going through and, and she had reached out as good friends do and say, Hey, you might want to see this doctor. Um, and I, I just saw him a couple weeks ago. Oh, cool. I did a stress test. I did, um, and, and his stress test in particular was really cool. So a VO2 max treadmill yes. test with an EKG. So you, I got to see myself at max, <laughs> max capacity and had an echocardiogram, had an EKG, had all this stuff. Um, and I'm back on, I'm back on the right track That's and great. I'm back on my original medicine and I'm feeling like myself again. And I cannot tell you how relieved I am that, uh, there's nothing scary going on. I don't need to retire from running and I'm actually gonna feel good this year. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's scary though. Right. Like to start to feel like, you know, you can't push past like a certain zone. I mean, but you're smart, smart enough to like, I mean, obviously you're a professional athlete. So of course you're going to the doctor regularly to check these things but I think for people who are not professional athletes like maybe they should think about really asking questions when they're at the doctor's office and like because a lot of people just go to the doctor and you get your and this is like back to inside tracker but you get your your blood work and they do basic tests based on your age but you really have to take charge of your health and get ahead of it like you don't want to be in the ER. Like you want to know what's going on in your body way before you get to that place. You, you have to. And you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you really have to advocate for yourself. Yes. And in my case last year, I was just being so hard on myself of thinking like, Oh, maybe I'm not fit. (laughs) Maybe I'm just out of shape. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm not good at this anymore. And that is just the dumbest thing I've ever done Right. instead of, uh, you know, advocating more or asking more questions and you have to do it. You totally have to do it. And it's so worth it. And it's a pain in the butt and it's expensive and whatever, but you don't want to end up in a, in a bad place. Right. And especially when you're, when you're an athlete, when you're training for something, it doesn't matter if it's the Olympics or, um, you know, the local 5k, you yeah. are putting more stress on your body than the average person. And you have to, you have to be proactive. It's all really great advice. Well, this has been so awesome. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Good luck with your training. It was lovely to meet you. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our 